So I'd like to tell you about the time that I thought I was going to become a movie star. When I was 17 years old, this is a true story, when I was 17 years old, I was a martial arts instructor and I'd achieved some success with that. And one of the things that came from that success was a number of opportunities to be involved in a number of different things. And so when you're 17 and you're in high school and you're flying to different states on the weekends for conferences, it's a pretty exciting thing. And then came the opportunity to go to stunt camp, and I was right there. I went mostly for fun. I didn't think anything was going to come out of it. And stunt camp, learning how to be a stunt man, um, is an incredibly fun thing. All the activities, every piece of it was just one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. And at the end of it, you do get a stuntman certification. It's good for a few years, so for a short time, I was certified as a stuntman. But at the end of that camp, the very last thing that we did, there was this 50-foot ladder that you could climb up to this, this walkway, this, uh, this platform. And then you could jump off of that platform, if you so chose to do this, to fall into this giant air pillow. It was just giant. And you were told before you climbed up there that it's going to look smaller than it really is, because 50 feet's kind of high, but you cannot miss it. You cannot jump far enough to miss it. So a whole bunch of us lined up to go, and we climbed up the ladder. And climbing a ladder for 50 feet is not as easy as you might think it is. But many of us did it. We jumped off, and it was enjoyable. But then they said, if you would like to... We, some of you can go again, but we're going to raise it. And so they raised it from 50 to, I think it was 100 feet, which is very, very, very high. And only two of us were ridiculous enough to want to do this. Me, being young and being me, um, I, of course, wanted to go first. So I started climbing up the ladder. I was about halfway up when I realized that at least this part, the climbing the ladder, was a mistake to volunteer for because not only is it exhausting, there are dozens and dozens of people watching you, so you don't get to look like it's exhausting. I got up to the top, though, and as you got high on the ladder, the stability wasn't the same. You just kind of move a little, and... You climb up on the platform, and the platform doesn't feel steady. But I, I walked to that platform, and this thing had a bar around the side of it, about waist high, but otherwise was open. And so that was kind of a terrifying moment. And I looked down, and that air pillow looked to be about the size of a piece of paper. Now, I knew in my head that it was much, much bigger than that, and they had assured me I couldn't miss it. But my eyes were telling me something very, very different. I'd like to tell you I was bold enough to jump. I wasn't. I had to turn around, and in a panic, the person behind me had mercy. He had climbed up behind me, and we kind of shuffled around. He got on the platform, and he was smart. He didn't even look down. He just ran to the edge of the platform and jumped. Well, now I had a problem, because climbing down a 100-foot ladder is no one's favorite thing to do. But also, I could not be the one who couldn't do it. So I uh, girded up my loins. I went to the edge of the platform, and I jumped. 
Now, I will tell you, you have some time to think about what you have done when you jump off of a platform 100 feet in the air. And when I jumped off the 50-foot, I was graceful, and, you know, I had done, I tried to maneuver in the air a little bit. This was just a, please, Lord, let this be okay. When I hit the air, air pillow, it was, it was okay, and there was this loud applause. I think more for me than the first one, because people tend to be more drawn to the person that, that has a hard time and then succeeds. And so all these people came up and congratulated me for doing it. And then this woman came up and handed me a business card. And she said, I think you could do this. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, I think you could be in films. She said, do you have headshots? And I said, no. Well, she goes, well, you have a good guy look, a nice guy look, and I think you could be in films. You need to get headshots done and then, then call me. And here's what I think she meant. You know in an action movie where the bad guy is being the bad guy and they hit somebody one time and that person flies off the screen and you never see them again? I think she meant I could be that guy. Let me tell you what 17-year-old Clayton heard. You're going to be a movie star. So I fly home from New York, and my parents pick me up from the airport, and let me tell you, I was excited to tell them the very first thing when I see them, I'm not going to college, I'm going to be a movie star. Today I'm going to talk to you about fools. <laughs> I mentioned last week that the book of Proverbs is written to young men. Because there is no other group of people with such a capacity for foolishness. I told you a story last week to illustrate that point, and I hope you realize I told you another one today. But the book of Proverbs contains wisdom for all of us. And all of us, young or not, man or woman, need wisdom. But wisdom isn't something you ever arrive at. It's something you need to grow in for all of your life. None of us are always going to be the wise one, and none of us are always going to be the fool. But there are times in our lives when we're one and times when we are the other. The goal of gaining wisdom is that you'll be the wise one more and more often. Now, before we go on, I want to say something. There is a bite to the book of Proverbs. When you realize that you're the one being described as the fool, it hurts. It has to, or else it wouldn't get your attention the way that it's meant to. And I believe the Lord wants it to be that way, so I'd be wrong to hide it. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to hide it. There's going to be a bite today. And I'm giving you fair warning now. So, last week we talked about how wisdom in the book of Proverbs is knowing how to live well. Wisdom is knowing how to live well. Folly or foolishness is the opposite of that. The fool in the book of Proverbs is living in a different world than he thinks he is. He's stumbling around in the dark. You can think of the difference between the wise person and the fool in this way. They're both on a hike on treacherous ground. But the fool has a blindfold because that's what foolishness is. It keeps you from seeing clearly. So will the wise person stumble and make mistakes? Yes, of course. But he'll do so much, much less often than the fool who cannot see clearly. 
And Proverbs confronts us with the idea that you're going to have to choose to work for wisdom or you'll end up with folly. In Proverbs 9, the young man is told that he's going to have to marry one of those two, pursue and stick with one of those two, either wisdom or folly. And one of them he has to work for, and the other is the easy road. So Proverbs 9, chapter, or chapter 9, verses 13 through 18, say this. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. I want you to notice a few things here. In verse 14, she sits at the door of her house. You see, folly is eager. The young man is being told that she's the companion that won't make you work hard for a date. She's waiting at the door, and as soon as you knock, she's there and she's ready. Folly is always available. And then in verse 17, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Way back in the Garden of Eden, Eve had to be convinced that the fruit would be sweet even if she stole it. Here, the fool has fallen so far as to think the fruit is better if it's stolen. The shortcut, the path of least resistance, the easy way is the best. That's what folly says. Because wisdom is difficult, but Lady Folly says you won't have to work at all. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the fool and his folly. So I read through the book of Proverbs several times, looking at every single time someone or something is called a fool or foolish or folly or simple. And I wanted to shrink it down to one principle, one core idea that describes the fool. And that leads us to our single sentence sermon summary today. The foolish focus on themselves, but the Spirit calls wise believers to cast their eyes on Jesus. Let me say that again for the note takers. The foolish focus on themselves, but the Spirit calls wise believers to cast their eyes on Jesus. Now, you've almost certainly heard the motto of the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we summed that up last week this way. We said it this way, Jesus is real. He's really, truly, very real. And if you really believe that, if you commit to it, if you commit to him, you won't be able to look at anything or anyone else. The eyes of your heart will fix on him. But the eyes of the fool are always looking in the mirror. The eyes of their heart are always on themselves. And the fool doesn't know that they're running down the path of self-destruction. 
But the book of Proverbs doesn't just say this. It kind of tells us the story of the fool in a brilliant way through multiple steps. We're going to talk about what the fool does. And again, fair warning, you're going to see yourself here. The book of Proverbs calls you wise. You, right here. Sometimes you are wise. And the book of Proverbs calls you foolish. You, here today, are sometimes foolish. As you see yourself in here, please take that as the call that it is to run to wisdom and not folly. So what is the, the way of the foolish person? The first thing that Proverbs tells us is that they are unable to gain wisdom. They're unable to gain wisdom. The book of Proverbs has an amazing way with words. Proverbs 26.7 says this, like the useless legs of one who is lame is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. That's pretty poetic, right? But what I think it means is, is that the fool is unable to gain wisdom. Unable to gain wisdom. Now, I mentioned earlier that everyone is the fool sometimes. It doesn't matter how wise, how experienced, how successful you are. You have blind spots. You just do. There are things that the people around you can see clearly, but for whatever reason, you can't. The reason you can't gain the wisdom you need to see clearly in your blind spot is the same reason the fool stays foolish. It's because the fool trusts in themselves. They trust in themselves. I mentioned Adam and Eve before, right? The great sin in the Garden of Eden wasn't that Eve believed the devil and didn't trust God. That's not it. It's that she looked with her own eyes and believed them more than she believed God. And by the way, the, the primary sin in the garden is Adam's. If your wife is talking to the devil and you're silent, you've made the mistake, right? But Eve trusts her eyes. She sees that the fruit is good for eating and she eats it, despite being told by the Lord not to. She trusts herself more than she trusts him. And that's the core of folly. It's the root of foolishness. A person lives in a universe created and sustained by an almighty God who wants to help to guide them. And instead, they decide to trust themselves. And since they trust themselves... They believe their own way to be right, and they ignore advice. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but one of the most common ways for the Holy Spirit to speak to his people is through his people. We are the body of Christ, right? And that body has a voice, and the Lord uses his people to speak to us often. But... If we ignore advice, either by, hear, by receiving it and ignoring it, or by not asking for it in the first place, then we're going to be convinced that we're right, and we're going to move forward in folly. In fact, we'll be so convinced that we'll ignore consequences and warnings. You've seen this happen before, right? That that somebody has been told that something was a bad idea, they should have known better, they make the bad decision, and then they get bad consequences. But 
at the end of it, somehow they don't realize that it was their choices that led them to the place they found themselves. They think that other people or other things were at fault. Well, I mentioned earlier that there's a bite in the book of Proverbs, and I wasn't going to hide it. And here it is. This theme right here, it's repeated over and over again in Proverbs. The way that the fool stays a fool is they ignore consequences and warnings. When things go wrong, instead of realizing their own responsibility, they blame someone or something else. Hear me. This is the plea of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Hear it today. There are exceptions to this. But many of the problems, the repeated ones that you experience, the situations you find yourselves in again and again, are at least in part the result of your actions or inactions. If you keep finding yourself in a bad situation over and over again, then the odds are that you are doing something foolish. Now, please understand, I know that there are exceptions. The child who is being abused is not at fault. The person who has a disease is not at fault. And there's more. There's more exceptions. But this is the sting of Proverbs. If you ignore or don't seek the wise counsel of mature believers and you ignore the negative consequences that come from your folly, then you will repeat your folly over and over again. The bad situation will almost certainly continue. It'll happen again. Now, all of us make mistakes, and sometimes those mistakes are big ones. We come into a situation that we did not foresee. That's not what I'm talking about. That can be avoided sometimes by, by seeking counsel. What I'm talking about is then when it happens again. You always end up in a fight and an argument, right? That, that, that sequence is almost never one person's fault. You're always in trouble at work with this person. That is almost never one person's fault. It's almost never just them. You are in a rift with family. And there's that family member you haven't spoken to in years because there's bad blood. It is almost certainly not entirely them. Hear me, there's exceptions. But if, if when I talk about a recurring bad situation rings something for you, you need to hear this. You need to look at what you're doing and ask, is it folly? So if we don't want to do that, if we want to change that cycle, we need wisdom, right? And wisdom comes from the Spirit. James chapter 1, verse 5 says it this way, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So here's how this works. When a person comes to Jesus and they accept him as their Lord and Savior, they repent of their sins and commit their life to him, then they receive the Holy Spirit. They are adopted into the family of God. And that Spirit doesn't just come and do nothing. The Spirit is never idle. He is always at work in 
and around and through you. He wants to guide and teach and transform you. He wants to make you wise. So we go to God and we ask for wisdom. But then here comes the next part, and this is the part we don't like. When we ask God for wisdom, we don't get to decide how he answers. Wouldn't it be great if we did? Wouldn't it be great if I could decide that God had to speak to me with an audible voice? Or wouldn't it be great if I got to decide that, that I would ask God for wisdom and I would just find the Bible verse I need to read in that moment? That's not how it works. We ask God for wisdom and then we watch and we listen. Now, he wants us to grow. And part of the growing happens from the watching and the listening and the waiting. And then we also have to be ready for him to speak however he's going to speak. The most common ways that he does that, he speaks to us through his word. God has put his word in a book. The most important things for you to know about and from him are together in a book. And he calls you to know it and to read it. If you need wisdom and you're not reading scripture, then you're, you're missing something and you don't even know what you're missing. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, find a way to get the word in you often. Because God speaks that way. And those of you who are habitual Bible readers know there's those times that, that devotions are dry and it doesn't seem like you get much from it and you wonder what you're doing. And then the next morning you wake up and you open your Bible and somehow that verse was exactly what you've needed to hear for some time. Because he doesn't speak on our schedule either. But it's not just through his word that he speaks. He also speaks through his voice. If you spend much time around Christians, you will learn that many people frequently hear internal promptings from the Spirit. I believe he speaks to all of us that way. He just does it with some with a different frequency. Maybe that's how he's trying to speak to you and he's waiting for you to listen. When you pray, do you talk the whole time? Do you realize how odd that is? When we pray, we get to step inside the throne room of God. Could you imagine stepping before God and never being quiet? Not listening for him to speak at all, just talking and talking and talking and talking. And then leaving and saying, I haven't heard anything from him. Well, of course you haven't heard anything from him. He's a gentleman and he's not going to interrupt. You've got to listen. And if going to prayer and listening feels strange... Trust me, you'll get used to it. But it's an intentional time of quiet reflection. And I believe it may be soon, it may be a long time, it may be frequent, it may be rare, but he'll speak. Another way, and in my, my experience, the most common way that God communicates to us is through his body, the body of Christ. The brothers and sisters in Christ around you. If you have a big decision to make, go to mature believers and ask their opinions about it. I remember in 2010 or 2009, I was a children's minister at Southside Christian Church. 
and it wasn't, it wasn't right. And I was wrestling with what I was going to do next. And there were two job opportunities that came to me at about the same time. One was to continue on in ministry at Calvary Evangelical Mennonite Church. And another was to go back to teaching karate. Those two came to me at almost the exact same time. And what I did is I went to the mature believers in my life and I said, pray about this for me. Help me figure this out. And all of them independently said the exact same thing. The Spirit spoke through his people. But the karate school didn't want me anymore, so I came here instead. That's not true. That's not true. If you have a big decision to make, go to the mature believers that you know and ask. And also just listen. Pay attention to what other believers are going through, what they're wrestling with, because often he'll speak to you through someone else's struggle. And more than that, the problem with blind spots is you don't usually know that you have the blind spot. So more than that, instead of waiting for you to know something big is coming, for, some, for you to know something hard is coming, check with the people you trust around you and ask, am I missing something? We're going to talk about real practical ways to do that here in a bit. But I want you to know this too. If you know that person that God seems to show up every time they pray, speak to them every time they read scripture, and, and speak with internal promptings every time they ask, and you just feel frustrated because he doesn't do the same for you, I want you to know you're not alone. I cannot tell you how many people have come to me with that exact concern. What am I doing wrong that this person is doing right? Because he doesn't speak to me the way he speaks to them. Well, we talk about our connection with God as a relationship. And we do that for a very important reason, a few of them. But one of them is this. God's relationship with you is different than his relationship with me. And it's different than his relationship with each and every other person. And you need to know that however he chooses to speak to you, he's chosen on purpose because he wants you to grow. And so if he speaks often and loudly to you, that's wonderful. It's a blessing, and he wants you to grow through that. And if his voice is quiet and it's a long time between times it comes, it's okay. He wants you to grow. And about internal promptings, I want to say this as well. If you're someone that gets those, you need to check them with the wisdom in Scripture and the wisdom of other believers as well. Because we can get confused about the voice that's ours and the voice that's the Lord's. So, God will speak to us. And he does it as we follow Jesus. And that's what it means to follow him. To commit to him and to watch and to listen, and he'll lead us. And his leading is always transformational. It's always aimed at using you to bless others and changing you to be more like him in the process. So how do you avoid being the fool? You follow Jesus. That sounds simple, right? Well, we're gonna, just, we're gonna talk about some very practical ways to do this. Some very simple things you can do starting today. The first one is this. 
There's a real uncomfortable conversation that you can have that's a really, really good idea. And it's when you go to that person that you're connected to, that you trust, and you say, how can I be better at? And you fill in the blank. How can I be a better wife? How can I be a better husband? You could say to your kids, how can I be a better parent? Now, if they're too young, obviously, you're not likely to get real. Buy me more things. That's, that's not the answer you're looking for. But a mature child can help you. But children, what would happen if you asked your parents, what can I do better? Maybe at work, you go to your boss and you say, what am I missing? What can I do better? Or maybe if you're the one who people work for, you ask them, how can I be better at what I do? What am I missing? What are my blind spots? And these conversations are almost certainly going to be very uncomfortable. And some of us are really bad at having uncomfortable conversations. But wisdom always requires courage. And if you will find the courage to say to a loved one today or tomorrow, how can I be better? And maybe the conversation doesn't go anywhere because they also need to have the courage to be honest with you. But you can build this practice into your marriage, into your family, into your workplace, into your life. And I think you will see that people will show you your blind spots. You will more and more often be the wise one and not the fool. The Spirit will speak through His people. How can I be better? And I want to challenge you to do that. Do that this week. Do it today. And if you're not sure, if you're sitting around the dinner table and it's on your mind, just ask the question. I think you'll be amazed at the results. The next thing is this. Read small chunks of Scripture. That might seem counterintuitive. It might seem like you need to read as much of it as you can at once. But read until you find something to chew on, until you find something to wrestle with, and then let it challenge you. Let it speak to you. Do that every day. The book of Proverbs is great for that. You can start with chapter 10 and read a proverb a day. Or read until you find one that hits you. And just think about it for the day. Take a small piece of Scripture do it every day and see how God speaks to you through that. The foolish focus on themselves, but the Spirit calls wise believers to cast their eyes on Jesus. You see, wisdom can hurt. I remember in that car ride home from O'Hare Airport when my parents heard me say I wanted to be a movie star and I didn't need to go to college. And my, my mom was quiet for a few minutes and my dad was less quiet. And I remember, the, I don't remember what he said, I remember what mom said. She said to me afterwards, she goes, Clayton, if that's what you want to do, you can do that, but you can't do it until after you go to school. And I was sure she was wrecking my future, just sure she was throwing it away. But here's the thing. I was young, and I didn't know what I didn't know. And my future and a good decision about that was a blind spot. And I needed someone wiser than me to tell me 
and to hold me to it. And let me assure you, I am very glad my parents didn't let me try to move, move to, to California and become a movie star. Would not have gone well. And I wouldn't be here today. I wonder what wisdom God is trying to speak to you, is ready to speak to you. And what he's waiting for is for you to ask. Pray with me. God, you are so, so good. And we love you. And Lord, you are wisdom itself. And we know, Lord, we believe that you are really, truly real. And because of that, everything is different. The wisdom that would make sense to the world is often wrong. Because you, God, are real. And so, Lord, we ask you to lead us, to teach us, to change us, to not only teach us to listen to your spirit, but to also be changed by it in the process. Lord, help us to be bold enough to search out the areas we need to grow And help us to be strong enough that when loved ones ask us where they need to grow, we can be honest. And Lord, help us to know and remember that yes, transformation can hurt. But always on the other end, we can be closer to you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.